Upsets, disappointment, and drama. That is week two in the Big 12 Conference in a nutshell. Welcome in. I'm Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports. We cover the Big 12 from top to bottom. Always appreciate you joining us and being a part of the show. So uh, there is so much to dive into from week two. If you're on YouTube, hit that thumbs up button. Subscribe to the show. Always appreciate you guys doing that. And of course, same thing on the podcast. We'll get you hooked up with that Heartland College Sports koozie. When you leave that rating and review and send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. So I'm going to take these games in order. That's the way to do it. And we'll get to each game, the reaction to it, the drama from it here on the show. So start on Friday night, Kansas. My takeaway from Kansas beating Illinois is that Kansas might be, and I don't want to overreact to one game, but Kansas might be the sneaky team in the Big 12 none of us are talking enough about. Why do I say that? Jalen Daniels and Devin Neal might be the best quarterback running back duo in the entire conference. Yeah, you heard that right. And you have a defense that might actually have its act together. The KU defense had six sacks and nine tackles for loss against a decent Illinois team. I'm not telling you Illinois is winning the Big Ten. They're not. Not even winning the Big Ten West. But Brett Bielema has built a decent program. And KU dominated them. They had a 28-7 lead at halftime. And Illinois made it mildly interesting in the second half. KU only put up six points in that second half. However, when you look at it, you've got to admit that what Lance Leipold is doing and what he's got in the trenches is superior to last year with the skill position guys, Lawrence Arnold at wide receiver and a bunch of others. He's got the preseason Big 12 player of the year in Jalen Daniels. He's got a sneaky good team. And maybe it's time to drop the word sneaky. Because in a Big 12 where I still believe that the best team right now, I mean, you got to give it to Texas right now, but I still think Kansas State is right up there. There's a question as to who's 3-4-5. And a lot of us thought Kansas might end up somewhere in that 7 to 10 range. But one game back of Jalen Daniels, you got to like what you saw. Coming out of KU, Friday night, home against Illinois. Teams 2-0. and I mean, they are just first time in back-to-back seasons in 15 years. There is so much to like about what the Jayhawks are doing. And people aren't going to be paying attention to them because they're going to be looking at the OUs, the Texases, the Kansas States. And Lance Leipold's going to be sitting back and saying, okay, that's fine. But that is one of the best wins of the weekend in this conference. And because it was Friday night, not as much attention being paid on it. It is KU, but you saw a lot. You've got to like from this Jayhawks team on Friday night. It was dang good. J-Rod on YouTube saying you'd call KU a dark horse. I agree. No doubt in my mind that KU is a dark horse team right now in the Big 12 Conference that not enough people are talking about but should be talking about. Uh, Meantime, let's continue in order. Go to Saturday. 13 games on the schedule in the Big 12 Conference on Saturday. Start off with the 11 a.m. kick. Baylor and Utah. It's a bad loss for Baylor. Baylor had Utah, the number 12 team in the country, on the ropes. They're leading 13-6 in the fourth quarter. They held this Utah team in check for the first 45 minutes of action, and then it all fell apart. You look at that game, and Baylor, it looked like, had it in the bag. 
And then Utah puts together two big drives. Um, they end up scoring two touchdowns, and Baylor ends up losing the game 20-13. to 13. Now, let's get right to the end of the game before I dive into this game some more. Was it pass interference on the last play of the game? Absolutely. Utah should have been called for pass interference. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Baylor got hosed on an opportunity to tie the game late. But I can't point to that play and say that's why Baylor lost. Baylor gave up a 15-play, 88-yard drive that took eight minutes in the fourth quarter for Utah to tie the game. And then after an interception by Sawyer Robertson, which, by the way, I didn't have an, an issue with Baylor putting the ball in Robertson's hands there on that drive tied at 13 and trying to tell him to make a play. Now, he missed a pass to Presley the play before the interception. So he made bad decisions, but you got to let your playmakers try to win you the game there. I don't have an issue with that. And then, very next drive after the interception, you have the Utes put together a six-play, 29-yard drive, and they score the go-ahead touchdown, the game-winning touchdown, eventually with a 2013 win. But that is a bad loss for Baylor one week after losing to Texas State. Baylor looked like its season was about to turn around. And then the fourth quarter happened. And, I mean, you know, I'm not sitting here Dave, saying Dave Aranda's seat's hot. They lost to a top 15 team. But you combine that with the Texas State loss, and I had Dave Aranda's seat simmering. Not that he's going anywhere, not that he should go anywhere. But there should be some heat for starting off 0-2 after disappointing last season as the favorite to win the Big 12. And now you have these two brutal losses to open up this season. Fine, you get a backup quarterback. So did Utah. They were using two quarterbacks because they didn't have their starting quarterback either. You were at home. You know, the defense actually played pretty well until that fourth quarter. And the offensive line did a pretty good job for Baylor. Much better than the week before. Utah, I thought Utah was going to dominate in the trenches, but Utah didn't have any sacks and only three tackles for loss in the day. So the offensive line did its job, but they couldn't get it done. Now, there was a lot of conversation about also McLean Stadium. And I'm not here to call out Baylor fans or anything like that. I'm just simply going to ask, where were you yesterday? Now, a lot of people are blaming the heat. A lot of people are saying it's hot in the stands at Baylor. Okay, it's the southeast, southwest, the south in September where football has been played since the beginning of the sport. That's nothing new, right? And that's, that's nothing new. We are used to taking in football in September in Texas in the heat. I don't know what the deal was, but uh, it did not look good on TV. I know they were 0-1. You had a top 15 team, a future Big 12 team, by the way, coming to town, and the Utah fans stood out in many ways more than the Baylor fans in that game. Now, some of you I talked to are blaming the way Baylor has redone its tailgating. I can't speak to that. I don't know anything about it. All I know, and, and you know, I haven't been to a Baylor tailgate in probably six years now, but I had a good time, but I guess things have changed over the last couple of years. That's all well and good. But in the end, I don't think this fan base should be bailing on Dave Aranda just yet. It's way too early for that. Saturday was a time when this team needed you. 
right? They wanted you there to help them bounce back against Utah. And it just looked like a dull atmosphere in Waco. So I hope that turns around. And if you're trying to send a message to the administration, I can respect that to a degree. But the team pays a penalty as well for that because the Utah fans, I mean, they they were uh, more of a presence at times than the Baylor fans were in Waco yesterday. So that wasn't a great look. But, of course, the worst look is what happened on the field. And uh, it was not pretty for Baylor in that game. Meantime, as we roll through uh, week two in the Big 12, we'll go to Kansas State and Troy. Let's talk about that game next up. Well, K-State did exactly what you thought they were going to do and what they should have done against Troy. Uh, K-State is the real deal. The defense is nasty. And Chris Kleiman has a team that can absolutely find itself back in Arlington at the end of this season. I mean, that's, that's how good they are. I, I picked this team to win the Big 12, four sacks, nine tackles for loss. Will Howard continues to uh, put it together and look like the best quarterback in the Big 12 conference. There's not a ton more to add to this game outside of the fact that you also like what's happening in the backfield with Ward and Giddens. It's not Deuce Vaughn, but I'll tell you right now, if you can create a one-two punch like that, you got something working there. And you also have guys at wide receiver who are starting to get more and more comfortable in their roles a couple of weeks in. Mizzou is going to be a very good test this week. Very good test. Um, I do have questions. I've been, I guess, wondering how this Kansas State offensive line, which I thought was going to be one of the best in the country this year, some questions maybe after Saturday, but Mizzou is going to be a very good test for that. So, Not a ton to take away from a 42-13 win over Troy for Kansas State. But all in all, you're 2-0. Not a ton of cause for concern. And a lot will be figured out. A lot is going to be learned um, in this game on Saturday against Missouri. So Kansas State getting it done. Speaking of teams getting it done, BYU rolling Southern Utah 41-16 in that one. So once again, what do you take away from these games? Well, you didn't. Look awful. You didn't throw up a stinker. Um, Keaton Slovis gets back on track, 348 passing yards, four touchdowns. So you like that. Uh, A lot of guys getting in the mix at wide receiver. Questions about the running game? Yes, I think that's very fair. When you average two yards a carry against Southern Utah, you got some question marks, right? Defense didn't maybe get a ton of push up front. Also, question that, what that looks like going forward. But after the week one defensive performance, I'm going to let that slide. But for BYU, hey, it's been weak competition. You're 2-0. Nothing tragic happened. But now you get a major step up in competition starting here against Arkansas this Saturday. And then you're going to Kansas. And then you're home to Cincinnati. And you're at TCU. So uh, BYU, I hope you enjoyed the preseason because now it's time to put on those big boy pants and get a feel for what's actually going to be happening over the next, you know, uh, two and a half, three months or so in the Big 12 Conference. So that was the third game on Saturday. Meantime, we move on uh, from there. And where do we go after that? Cyhawk. Iowa State losing to Iowa 22-13. So... I wrote the preview at heartlandcollegesports.com and I picked Iowa to win. Something like 20 to 16, 17 to 13, something along those lines. And the biggest reason 
was that I did not love a quarterback starting his second career game in a rivalry of this size and trying to win the game. And when Rocco Beck throws a pick six, uh, that's exactly what I was afraid of. When Castro picked him off and Castro read that thing perfectly against Beck, it's like this is the kind of stuff that a freshman quarterback is going to do against a defense of this quality, even if he's at home. And in a game that, you know, you figure 20 points wins you the game, you have an interception like that that takes six points back the other way, that's going to be a decision maker for you. So, you know, the Iowa State defense was really darn good. You got to like everything you saw there out of the defense for the most part, but I, I thought it was going to come down to something like that where a freshman was going to make a freshman mistake. I don't have an issue with Rocco Beck. I mean, I, I think he's you know, he threw the ball 44 times, um, but I don't think you bail on the guy right now or anything like that. I, I just think that, you know, you got a freshman quarterback in a very difficult spot against a very good defense. That's what you get out of it. But here's the bigger picture to me. The bigger picture to me is that Cyhawk has become a great football game for the sport of college football. And that's something that if you told Iowa residents that a generation ago, they'd say, really? I mean, that game was on primetime Fox in the primo 2.30 central time slot. Iowa, Iowa State. These two programs, I don't want to say they're mirror images of each other, but there are a lot of similarities for a state that is underpopulated but has become, really, this game has become a chance for both of these teams to showcase themselves on the national stage. And I love it for the state. I love it for the sport. I love it for the Big 12. I think it's great for everybody involved in this game. So I'll just say this. As we continue to lose rivalries and conference realignment, I hope that Cyhawk doesn't go anywhere. And I hope that both programs realize the importance of this game for their state, for their programs, what it does for the players in this game, what it does for the people of that state. I'm not an Iowa resident, but I can feel it down here in Kansas City. It is special. And then, of course, you add special to it with presidential candidates sitting around the stadium yesterday. Not making it political at all. I'm just saying it adds to what that game has become and how awesome it has been for everybody involved with it. So I think it's great that we find ourselves in this place where Cyhawk is in week two now a staple game that's getting primo billing, not on FS1, not on ESPN2, on Big Fox at 2.30 in the afternoon. So I, I just love what this game has become, and I think there's immense amount of respect between both of these programs for the other one. And while Iowa State ended up losing this game yesterday, I mean, I... I'm not going to sit here and and, um, do the whole, you know, oh, boy, Matt Campbell can't beat Iowa. He beat him last year, and then he went 1-8 in the Big 12. So I'll tell you right now, I I would hope at least that Iowa State fans would say, you know what, if we lose that game but we get back to bowl eligibility, then let's roll. Let's let's make this happen, right? I think you would all sign up for that in a heartbeat, I'd like to think. Uh, You should, and you knew that with so many new faces, this was going to be a tough one to get the win in. And it was on Saturday as Iowa lost to Iowa State lost to Iowa 22-13. Next up, looking through the Big 12 Conference. Now we get to the night games. 
Oklahoma beating SMU 28-11. Well, this was my lock of the week, by the way. I gave you OU minus 15 in this game, and they certainly uh, took care of business in this one. Um, The storyline in this game was about what took place after the game. So let me address that because I wrote about it at heartlandcollegesports.com, and it got a lot of reaction. So what I wrote, well, let me backtrack here if you missed it. What happened after the game is that Art Bryles was photographed on the field. Yes, that Art Bryles, the former Baylor head coach, disgraced Baylor head coach. He's on the field in OU gear with offensive coordinator Jeff Levy. Why is he there? He's there because Jeff Levy is his son-in-law. So Jeff Levy invited his father-in-law, Art Bryles, onto the field after the game. And, you know, he was standing there. He's not involved with the program. He's just standing there in OU gear talking to his son-in-law, who happens to be OU's OC. And some OU media folks just snapped photos of Art Bryles and posted it on the Twitter, or X. And, uh, you know, some OU people went nuts over it. And then after the game in the postgame, Brent Venables was asked about it, and he said that he was addressing the situation and it would be handled. And OU Media wrote about it. OU Media tweeted about it. OU Media was outraged by Art Bryles showing up on the field after the game. Let me be very clear because I wrote this on the website. I am not an Art Bryles apologist. I would not hire Art Bryles to be a part of my program. That being said, OU Media being outraged, at least a portion of them, not all of them, this is not everybody, but a portion of OU Media taking the holier-than-thou approach when it comes to Art Bryles standing on a field with his son-in-law after the game is comical. Many of these people are the same folks who barely lifted a finger calling out Bob Stoops and the OU administration after Joe Mixon is seen on camera beating a woman in the head. They might have written an article or a tweet about it, but they let it go pretty quickly. Never mind, you want to go back to the, you know, these same, some of these same folks. I mean, worship the ground that Barry Switzer walks on. And if you want to go back in time and look at some of the accusations around Barry Switzer's Oklahoma football program, Well, you know, you open up a can of worms when it comes to alleged sexual assault cover-ups and things of that nature. But, you know, Barry shows up. If the king shows up, I mean, they will kiss the ring. They will worship at his feet. They will treat him like the second coming. But Art Bryles stands on a football field after a game with his son-in-law, and they're outraged. It is a drummed-up, narrative and a made-up storyline that is not the biggest deal that they're turning it into. That's not a defense of Art Bryles. Okay, let's be very clear. This is not a defense of Art Bryles. This is calling out the critic, the, the, the hypocritical, transparently um, uh, embarrassing OU media. Some of them, not all of them, but some of them who acted like their hair was on fire at the thought of Jeff Levy having his father-in-law on the field, as if, by the way, 
People didn't know who Jeff Lebby's father-in-law was when the guy got the job, for crying out loud. So Jeff Lebby gets asked uh, after the game about this, and he comes out and he basically says, hey, um, he's here with his family. He's my father-in-law. He's the grandfather of my two kids. He was down with us after the game, uh, but he was down there with his entire family. And by the way, I respect Jeff Lebby saying that, right? I, I, I do. I respect the man saying, hey, this guy has nothing to do with the program. He's not calling plays. He's not a special assistant. He has nothing to do with OU football. He is there in the capacity as a father-in-law. That's it. Are we going to have morality tests, by the way, for anybody who steps foot on a football field after a game ends? Is that what we're going to do? Because that's pretty ridiculous. Now, after this all went down, Joe Castiglione, the Oklahoma AD, put out the following statement. He said, I was disappointed, as many of our fans, when I learned of the postgame situation tonight. It shouldn't have happened, and it was my expectation it never would, based on boundaries we previously set. I've addressed it with the appropriate staff. That is from Oklahoma AD Joe Castiglione. Now, if that is true, and Jeff Lebby violated some type of rule or agreement that he had with OU, then that's a different conversation. But Jeff Lebby, when he was asked about it after the game, he didn't act like a guy who knew he broke some rule. He came out and he's like, that's my father-in-law. That's the grandfather of my kids. He was there with family. That's it. That's what he did. That's how he reacted. He didn't react like somebody who had just been caught breaking some rule that he agreed to. So I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if OU is kind of backtracking on this thing. Venable certainly just let Levy take the heat. Um, you know, he kind of did the whole babe in the woods routine as if he didn't know who he hired as OC and how that OC's father-in-law might show up at a game. I, I don't know. The whole thing stinks. But I do know this much. The OU media folks, at least the portion who are acting like beyond outraged over this, please. That is, uh, that is not something that I'm going to buy into because their hypocrisy is showing in a big way, very big way. So unfortunately, that's the lead story today uh, for OU. It's not what happened on the field. It's what happened after the game on the field which is crazy, but that's the world we live in. Uh, next up, West Virginia rolling Duquesne 56-17. to 17. Oh, my goodness, Neil Brown. What are you doing, Neil Brown? Duquesne jumps out to a 7-0 lead. You know, uh, the West Virginia offense looked awful. Then they punt the ball. Then they, you know, one of their special teams gunners ends up touching the punt. Duquesne recovers. They score a touchdown. It was a horrible start, absolutely horrible start for Neil Brown and the West Virginia Mountaineers in that game. Um, then there's a two-hour weather delay. Now, you look at the final score and you say, hey, what's the big deal? But that was an ugly way to start the game. And by the way, the star of the game, the story of the game is a guy named Hudson Clement. Guy didn't have a single career catch until Saturday, and he has five catches for 177 yards and three touchdowns, and he ends up getting awarded a scholarship after the game by Neil Brown in the locker room. It's a pretty cool moment. We wrote about it at heartlandcollegesports.com. You can find it there. But, I mean, it's just, it is wild. Literally no career catches. Shows up, and he joins Tavon Austin and Stedman Bailey as the only three West Virginia wide receivers to have 175 receiving yards and three touchdowns in a single game. 
So I mean, I'm seeing a lot of you guys here on YouTube and Facebook say you're over uh, Neil Brown. He's going to be fired after finishing at the bottom of the Big 12. Uh, he, he, he might finish at the bottom of the Big 12. That's for sure. I mean, I don't see how they don't right now. And if that does happen, then yes, Neil Brown is going to be shown the door. I mean, we've got too many examples of guys, of coaches using the transfer portal now in positive ways to turn around the program very quickly. I mean, Deion Sanders is an extreme case that we're watching in real time, but there's plenty of other examples. Neil Brown, West Virginia is a great job. Neil Brown cannot say, give me one more year when he's in what, year five of this job with the Mountaineers? I mean, at, at some point, enough's enough. You've seen it happen. And here's the other thing that should be learned from coaches getting hired and winning big. Whether it's Lance Leipold at Kansas, Chris Kleiman at Kansas State, Deion Sanders, winning football games is winning football games, no matter what the level. I think the trend is going to continue to mine lower divisions, lower conferences for winners versus trying to find the hotshot coordinator to take over your program. Now, Neil Brown, of course, was a head coach, but I'm just saying in general, I think that more administrations, rightfully so, are going to look at this and say, you know what we've got to do? We've just got to find the best coach and let him implement his system and use the transfer portal effectively, and that's the future of college football. That's where this thing is trending. So I will give Neil Brown this weekend against Pitt. I mean, he's got to beat Pitt this weekend. I don't think Pitt's all that good. Cincinnati got a good win over them. Uh, we'll talk about that here in a second. But if he doesn't beat Pitt and it's ugly or embarrassing, I don't know if he makes it to Halloween. I, I really don't. Now let's talk about that game, Cincinnati and Pitt. Hey, Cincinnati, I, I know it's Eastern Kentucky and Pitt, who I don't think is great, but Cincinnati's quietly starting off this season very nicely. Uh, that game against Oklahoma in a couple of weeks is much more compelling than it was two weeks prior. I mean, you've got uh, Emory Jones, who is continuing to look very strong out of the gates. Uh, Corey Kenner at running back had 153 yards on the ground. The defense continues to look very stout, especially that front seven, which we knew was going to be good. They had five sacks, eight tackles for loss against Pitt in the 27-21 win. So uh, Cincinnati is going to be one of those sneaky teams that I had finishing near the bottom of the Big 12. Let me see. Where did I have them? Hang on one sec. I had them finishing. I had them finishing last in the Big 12. They only had nine returning starters. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I'll tell you right now, I know we're only two weeks in. I think that's going to be a bad pick by me putting Cincinnati in last place in the Big 12 Conference. I like what I'm seeing so far out of the Bearcats. Uh, next up, rolling through the Big 12 Week 2 Reaction Show. If you're on YouTube, hit that thumbs up button. Share it. Subscribe to the show. If you're on iTunes as well, hit that five-star rating and review. Greatly appreciate you doing that. Uh, next up here. All right, here we go. Texas beating Alabama 34-24. to This is a program-defining win for Steve Sarkeesian. Steve Sarkeesian absolutely dominated Nick Saban beyond what the final score indicates. This was an impressive performance, and it was most impressive, by the way, in the trenches. Steve Sarkeesian owned Nick Saban. I repeat that again. Steve Sarkeesian owned Nick Saban in the trenches. 
They dominated the line of scrimmage. Texas had five sacks, nine tackles for loss. On the other side, the Crimson Tide only mustered two tackles for loss and never got to Quinn Ewers in the backfield. On that last drive, they pounded the rock to run out the clock and then got the first down, kneeled it, and sealed the victory in Tuscaloosa. Quinn Ewers played an excellent game, 349 passing yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, and they made uh, Milrow uncomfortable all night, the Alabama quarterback. They won the turnover battle. I mean, it was a great victory, and it was the kind of win that Steve Sarkeesian desperately needed. His best win in Austin, hands down. Now, it's Big 12 championship or bust. In fact, it might be college football playoff or bust after that performance on Saturday. That's how good it was for Steve Sarkeesian. I I mean, you know, you got to look at that team and say, who's beaten them in the Big 12? That being said, we have seen Texas have performances, maybe not this good, but we have seen them have great performances early in the year and then just fall flat on their face as the season rolls along. So, but based on what I saw, I don't think that's going to happen this year. Not saying they're going to win the Big 12 right now. I'm going to stand by my prediction of Kansas State. I had Texas finishing third in the Big 12 this year, but that looks like a team destined for Arlington after what they did on Saturday night. And if Quinn Ewers keeps playing that kind of football, Um, and they get that kind of performance out of the offensive line and defensive line, it's going to be tough to take this team down this year. There's no doubt about it. So I know I like to rib Texas and OU because they're leaving, but I'm going to call it straight, and that is right now what I've seen. That's obviously the best performance thus far in the Big 12, and if that's the best win the Big 12 by a mile, and that looks like today the best team in the Big 12. Uh, next up, Texas Tech and Oregon. Texas Tech losing to Oregon 38-30. to Jeez. That's my initial just exhaustive reaction to that game. <laughs> I mean, there's a million things to dive into here. And I know Joy McGuire did this a lot last year. But I'm really getting sick of watching Joy McGuire go for it on fourth and two from his own 35-yard line when he's up a point. I mean, goodness gracious, man, what are you doing? Texas Tech's up 27-25, 13 minutes left in the game, and you go for it on a fourth and two from your own 33-yard line. Now, you might sit there and and you might say to yourself, well, Oregon just took the ball 17 plays, 75 yards for a touchdown. So you want to get the first down. Your defense is tired. Okay, your defense is tired. I'd rather have my defense tired at their own 25 instead of my 35-yard line. Up by two points. I mean, at least make Oregon work for it. Instead, you know, Oregon's able to kick the field goal. Now, on that drive at the end of the game, I did think it was an interception in the end zone. I think it was Milton. Who who was? Why am I blanking on the guy's name? In the end zone for Texas Tech um, when Oregon eventually went up one point on the field goal. I absolutely thought that it was an interception by Texas Tech in the end zone there. But unfortunately, the officials, after review, did not agree. They called it incomplete, and then Oregon kicks a field goal to go up uh, 28-27. Now, Texas Tech comes back, kicks a field goal, goes up 30-28, and then Oregon comes down, kicks a field goal, goes up 31-30. 
And then when Texas Tech has the ball with about a minute left, what happens? Pick six by Tyler Shuck. Oregon takes it back. They win 38-30. So there's not one thing you're going to point to in this game, but some of it has to fall on the coaching. It just has to. I, You know, whatever the analytics gurus are saying, maybe they make the case for Joey McGuire going for it on fourth and two from his own 33. But I'm also banging my head against the wall saying, I mean, what are we doing here? Come on, jeez. Ugh. And I, I, Tyler Shuck, I mean, they're going to get the guy killed if they keep running him 23 times a game. Maybe they figure we got a great backup quarterback, so what's the big deal? But damn, I mean, you, I, where's Tosh Brooks? He had six carries. I don't get it. So I don't want to see Tyler Shuck running that much. We know he's injury prone. If you think he's the best quarterback, then by golly, try to keep him upright for crying out loud. Oh, my goodness. And then what a brutal way to not cover the spread. I had Texas Tech plus seven and a half as my underdog pick of the week. And I was feeling good about it. And then on the last drive with a minute left, Shuck does the one thing he can't do to not allow Tech to cover, and that's throw a pick six. And that's literally the only thing that could have happened in that spot to not cover Texas Tech plus seven and a half. I mean, that is a, and that was my underdog of the week pick. So that hurt for a lot of reasons, but Tech should have had that game. I mean, the two Big 12, Pac 12 losses, Tech to Oregon and Baylor to Utah, they really do sting. Um, now, UCF beats Boise 18 to 16 on a walk off field goal. This was my, I, I told you not to bet UCF minus three and a half. That was my bad bet of the week. It seemed too good to be true. And I was right. So I was two for one this week. I gave you a lock of the week, OU minus 15. My underdog of the week was Texas Tech plus seven and a half. And then after that, my bad bet of the week was UCF minus three and a half. I told you to stay away from that game. Um, I hope you did. But it worked out perfectly. UCF won the game but didn't cover. So a walk-off win at the end on a field goal. I mean, Boise's a weird place to play. It's always tricky up there on the road, never mind in a night atmosphere. So for UCF, you just got to be happy. You're 2-0. They'll be 3-0 after beating Villanova this week. And then you go in the Big 12 play at Kansas State. So it's a quick welcome to the Big 12 in two weeks for UCF. Uh, So we'll be watching that closely. And yes, Plumlee may have a serious knee injury. That did not look good at the end of that game. I mean, he kind of like, I don't know if he just misslided, whatever he was going for there. It was like a bad slide, an awkward slide. I saw that in real time, and I'm like, that did not look good. So as soon as we get something on Plumlee, we'll let you know. But if he's out, that changes the equation for UCF this year. So you're right about that. Um, And by the way, that whole last drive of that UCF game was so – the referees were awful. They missed false starts on UCF in fairness. The clock was running when it shouldn't have been running. Plumlee gets hurt. It was so clunky and so bad. But UCF does end up uh, getting the win in that game. Next up – oh, seen this too many times. Houston, Dana Holgerson losing to Rice 43-41. What are you doing, Dana? I mean, this is the kind of Dana Holgerson stuff you see all the time. You know, it's like, dude, this is why a lot of us don't think Dana Holgerson can be a big-time coach at the FBS level. They get a good win as an underdog against UTSA. They crap the bet against Rice the next week. 
on the road. You're down 28 nothing. you got to come back. You force overtime. You lose by two in double OT. And by the way, a fade route in double OT on the two-point conversion, what, I, I didn't like that play call at all. I mean, goodness gracious, what was that all about? That's just classic Dana Olgerson is what that is. I, I didn't like it oof, one bit, and it was tough to watch. I mean, they came back, so you give them credit for not fighting and not giving up, but oh, my goodness. That's just what too many of us have seen from Dana Holgerson far too often, sad to say. Jeez. Um, Next up, TCU rolling nickels. Not a lot to see there. Bouncing back from the Colorado loss. Uh, Chandler Morris gets it done. 26-30 uh, through the air. A couple of scores. Defense overall looked very good. Three sacks, six tackles for loss. Warren Thompson who didn't get nearly as much attention as a transfer as a guy like JoJo Earl, who came in from Alabama and had a touchdown last night. Warren Thompson, the former Arkansas and Florida State wideout, he led the way with eight catches for 92 yards. So TCU uh, gets in the win column, and of course uh, they are opening up Big 12 play at the aforementioned Houston this weekend. That's a 7 o'clock start on Fox, so that should be entertaining. And last but not least, Oklahoma State, beating Arizona State 27-15. to 15. I don't know if Mike Gundy is crazy or a genius, or maybe he's a crazy genius. But he's still playing three quarterbacks, and Alan Bowman, Garrett Rangel, and Gunnar Gundy. I just know this much. I would roll with Gunnar Gundy. But here's what I think Mike Gundy's doing. I think Mike Gundy knows. I hate to break it to you, OSU fans. He's not competing for a college football playoff this year. So he's trying to figure out, what can I do to put myself in the best position to win as many Big 12 games as possible? And through two games, Alan Bowman has led eight drives and scored 10 points. Gunnar Gundy has led eight drives for 24 points. And Rangal has led seven drives for 17 points. It's unconventional. But in this case, I'm not going to question Mike Gundy. His team is quietly 2-0 and with a couple of performances that no one would consider pretty but he's getting the desired outcome. The defense stepped it up big time in the second half, holding Arizona State scoreless in that second half. You got to like that. They were in the backfield plenty against the Sun Devils. Uh, there's still a lot of questions. Of course, offensive line has issues as well for the Cowboys, but I like Ollie Gordon a lot. I'd be rolling with Gunnar Gundy if it was me, but you know what? Mike Gundy said, might be saying to himself, hey, I got one more game to kind of figure this out on Saturday in non-conference play. Then we end up going to Ames. He's basically playing these games as preseason games, and he's 2-0. and So you can't complain about the record. Texas Tech would sign up for that in a heartbeat right now. Um, so would Baylor. So you're 2-0. and I trust Mike Gundy to figure out the situation and let the chips fall where they may. There you go. I'm Pete Mundo, heartlandcollegesports.com. Uh, hey, before you leave, hit that thumbs up button on YouTube. That helps us tremendously on the YouTube algorithms. Subscribe to the channel as well. That way you never miss any of our videos. And if you're on the podcast, you know what to do. Leave a rating, review, subscribe, take 30 seconds out, do that for us. And we'll hook you up with a free Heartland College Sports koozie when you leave that rating and review. And send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O at heartlandcollegesports.com. We're at 650 ratings on iTunes. I want to get, can we get to 700 by Halloween? Can you help us with that? That's only 50 of you. Just please do me a solid. Do it now. We just wrapped up a 40-minute show. Come on, baby. 
Thank you, guys. Have a great rest of your day. Uh, Go Big 12, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.